Hi, welcome to Compose Living with Elsa Elbert. I am your host, Elsa Elbert. Today, our guest is Temi Ademalakun, and I am so excited to have you here today. Um, Temi is the founder of Pembroke PR and the author of the children's book, Your Special Voice. Now living in San Francisco, she was born in Nigeria, then moved to London, where she spent her early career working in the editorial department at Condé Nast. Temi is also a member of the San Francisco Council for Vital Voices, which is a nonprofit that invests in women who are improving the world. Uh, thank you so much for being my guest today, and I cannot wait to learn more about your journey and all the incredible things you are working on. So welcome, Tenny. Thank you very much for having me. I'm definitely excited to be here. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I know I kind of gave like a super short bio of you, but as we all know, there's so much more to <laughs> all of our backgrounds than a couple of sentences and uh I think we met through Hey Mama, right? Yeah. So yeah. Cool. And I love that you reached out and I'm so excited to learn more about what you're working on and, and your children's book and kind of how life brought you to this place. Yeah, thank you for that. It's a fun question to be asked because it really makes you think like what are the important like pivot points that lead you to where you are today? So as you rightly said, born in Nigeria, grew up in London for the most part, England and then moved over to San Francisco in my 20s. Um, and it's interesting because I never necessarily thought I'd live in America just because it just wasn't really on my radar. But I met my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and our choice was San Francisco or New York. I thought New York was too similar to London. So I was like, let's try out this California thing. And San Francisco being Northern California is different to the idea I had in my head. But um, we've fallen in love with it. And I really can't see a better place to live. I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I am very happy here. I, I love San Francisco. I started college in Santa Cruz. So, you know, south, very, very South Bay area. Uh, and I just love the climate in Northern California. I'm like done with sunshine. <laughs> I think yeah. I've lived in Southern California for too long. Uh, but San Francisco is such an interesting city with so much history and so much architectural beauty. And you're right, a very different vibe from like the Malibu beach town yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, atmosphere. So yeah, San Francisco cool. is one of those cities that's like an onion in the sense that it has so many different layers. Yeah. And see what you find depends on where you choose to peel. <laughs> totally. I think that's why it really held our interest for this long. And then also like when you look at the region, there's so much like within easy access. My son and my husband both snowboard and you know Tahoe is a three hour drive. Yeah. Which is an hour and a half away. You've got the beautiful like rocky beaches of Bodega Bay. So I think we're really lucky with where we live and just how life has uh, ended up for us. And the other thing that I definitely want to reference is I definitely see myself as a global citizen. I think it's a really unique thing to be able to look at everything in the world through the lens of three different identities, because I'm Nigerian, yeah. I grew up in England, and I now live in America. So I always look at everything through the lens of those three different things, which I think really informs a lot of my decision making, my thought processes, and gives me a really different perspective. And I think quite often it gives me a lot more empathy for a broader range of people than other people might have just because it's a lived experience in so many different arenas. Um, I've always been an avid reader and I'm also a very enthusiastic person. So when I find something that I love, I think everyone should know about it. So obviously the natural progression was to end up in PR. I started out, well, I actually did law, 
undergrad um, because I really love reading and there's a lot of reading in law and like, you know, forming like really structured arguments for something I really enjoy doing, the writing. So I did law, which I love, but I realized quite quickly I didn't want to be a lawyer. So that's when I went into Condé Nast on a graduate recruitment program, which was really good fun because they actually bounce you around on different titles. So you're at a different title for like six months. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was a really fun experience to have in London. And through that job, I interacted with a lot of PR people. And I was like, oh, that seems like a really fun thing to do. So that was my introduction into PR. And while I was working PR, I did a course in handbag design at the fashion school, Central Tip Martin. So then I set up a handbag company. <laughs> so I had that for wow. a few years. And I was still doing that when we moved to San Francisco. But I realized as much as I loved it, I'm a very social person. So I just needed to be around people. So I went into a job for a restaurant group managing their communications as director of communications, did that for four years. And we went from one restaurant to four. So it was a really fun job. Was that in San Francisco or still in London? In San, no, Fran- in San Francisco. Um, and then I left to set up my own agency when I was pregnant with Arthur. I figured it was a good time to give it a go. If it works out well, great. I've got the built-in flexibility and agency to just manage my own time in my own direction. And if it didn't work out, I'd go back into a job. And luckily for me, it worked out. Wow. So how long has that been now? 10 years. Oh, wow. Congrats. That's so exciting. It's a big undertaking to be pregnant and also starting a new business. <laughs> it is, but I also think like people ask me about that. And I think ignorance truly is bliss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you don't know what you're getting into, it's a lot easier to get into it. Then, um, yeah. I, yeah, I just think I just didn't necessarily know what I was getting into. But And I also think we got really lucky. Our son was quite an easy baby. And so to be honest, I'd take him to meetings with me. And like two of the yeah. people I had meetings with really early on, like when they see him now, they still remember that he came with me to meetings, like one editor, one client. And they're like, oh, we thought it was like such an amazing thing that, you know, you just showed up with your baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's so beautiful to start normalizing, you know, that we're all more than just our jobs and we have families and we're moms. And sometimes you have to take your baby to a meeting and there's, you know, that should be a part of life. Yeah. It's different uh, for people. And I get that. Yeah. Not everyone necessarily yeah. feels comfortable or feels they have the flexibility, but for me running my own business, I was like, I'm going to show up, you know, if this is what I need to do, this yeah. is what I need to do. If it's a problem, you're not my person and that's fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It was just so interesting for me because it formed two really strong connections. The two times I took him to meetings, those two people yeah. I'm still really good friends with now as a result of the bond formed because they couldn't, you know, they were just like, this is amazing that you brought your baby. And he was very sweet, very happy. So he wasn't like problematic at all. So that helps. Yeah. And it's so, I think we're very fortunate to be in this place where we can sort of balance family and motherhood and and being a wife or a partner uh, and also run our own businesses. Um, You know, like I've learned so much about boundaries and what I need and how to uphold those for my own, you know, mental well-being. And so now like my team knows don't ever schedule me for anything before 10 a.m. I get up early, like I'm up by 5.30 or 6 every morning, but like I can't start thinking about work before 10. And then after two, it's like, you're not getting anything useful that's coming out of my brain. I'm already like so tired. And so all of my like meetings, anything where I need to be super engaged and and on point has to happen in those times. And it's funny because it sounds, you know, it's not very American, I guess, to be like, here's my four hour work day. (laughs) 
but it works really well for all of us. And so everybody maximizes their, their time and their productivity. And, and I get to balance everything else that I want to do in my life that isn't about work, which I love. I love that. I'm similar. Um, I remember when I was still in the restaurant job reading an interview, I think it was with Rachel Pally. And she said that when she set up her um, clothing brand, she said to herself, she was never going to respond to emails over the weekend because if she didn't yeah. respond, then people wouldn't expect her to respond. And yeah. quite often they just figure out the solution without needing to email her. And I feel the same. I think if you are someone that has several things you want to do in life, you have to figure out like what is essential um, and then just figure out the boundaries that you need to support what you consider to be essential. There's a great book by a guy called Greg McEwen called Essentialism. Um, and I think that's a, such a powerful read for so many people because you realize that burnout and overwhelm comes from trying to make too many things a priority. Priority by definition is singular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As well, like multiple priorities. That's why it doesn't work. So I think just being really clear on the boundaries you need to support the life that you want to live just gives you the space and freedom to do that. And people respect boundaries more than we worry that they will. Yeah. And also if they're not going to be respectful of boundaries, then that should be sort of like a red flag that maybe this isn't someone you want to be in business or in relationship with. Um, And for us, I mean, you know, we're helping people organize their homes and their lives. And while we are very passionate about it, and I think it can be transformative for our clients, it's not something that is time sensitive, you know? Like you can wait until tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. for a response and your world's not going to crumble. (laughs) We're not like, you know, working in an emergency room here. How did you decide to write a children's book? Like why a children's book? Why the timing? All, All of the things. Yeah, so that's a really fun story. So I've always loved reading. I mean, the joke around my household and with my family, like my mom and my brother as well, has always been that I've I've had a book in my hands since the age of four because I've always loved reading. I think it's such a powerful thing to be able to immerse yourself in someone else's world. I feel most authors know the protagonist better than most people know themselves. It's also really insightful. Um, And also I, I liken it to travel. You know, you get to immerse yourself in someone else's world without leaving your home. Yeah. You know, so that can be quite a transportive, transformative experience. And I think it also really flexes the empathy muscle for a lot of people just to get insight into like what someone else's life looks like from the inside. And just like great storytelling for me. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV because I'd rather read. And I really just enjoy the journey of like a great story. So I've always loved reading. And when my niece, who my older niece, I've got two, and my older niece is now 17. When she was born, we were still living in London. So I read a lot of books to her. And I was like, oh, my God, children's books are magical because most adults don't remember what it's like reading children's books until you do it again as an adult, if you do. Yeah. Um, but I thought, oh, children's books are magical. And she would get so, like, excited and animated when I'd read to her. And I was like, oh, this is such a fun experience. Went through it again when we had our son. And he really loved reading. I started reading for him really early, around five, six months. And we'd read every night at bedtime. And he would just like be so like engaged and he's a really active kid and yeah. he'd be so engaged in these stories. And I was like, gosh, children's books are just magical. And he really loved rhyming books as well. Like the sing song nature rhyming books. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, oh, it'd be great to write a children's book one day. And I actually did write a children's book. It was about a magical car. <laughs> uh-huh. And I wrote it before I had my son. But I sent it to like two or three different publishing houses and nobody took it. And I was like, oh, you know, I tried. And then after having my son fell in love with children's books again, kept thinking it'd be something great to do. But, you know, not a lot of time. 
between running a business and, you know, being a mom and part of a family. And then fast forward to 2020, by which point I'd had my business for seven years. I was really invested and involved in the female entrepreneur community in San Francisco in particular, in California as a region, and then nationally. And right after the murder of George Floyd, like literally about a week after, I was asked to speak on a panel about unpacking white privilege in the context of children by Hey Mama, which is also how we met. Yeah. And Mama is a really wonderful organization for working moms, entrepreneur moms, but working moms, and they're based in New York. And I'd met the two founders, Katia and Amri, when they came over to San Francisco a couple of years before, because like I said, I'm really involved in the female entrepreneur community. So I met them when they came, they were looking for like people that could like work as potential ambassadors and just help them let more people know what they were doing. So 2020, George Floyd is murdered, we're in lockdown, everyone's in shock, trying to process what's happening. I get this message from them. They're like, oh, we're putting together a panel to speak about white privilege. Would you join us? And I was like, yes, sure. Um, and the panel they put together was phenomenal. So we had Jodie Patterson, who's a prolific activist. And then we had two of the founders of the Women's March. And then we had a woman called Lucy that was running for Inspector General of New York at the time. And she was a moderator. And the panel was just like, as you can imagine with the lineup that I mentioned. And they were also looking for like a regular everyday mom. So that was me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the panel was just like pure fire. And we ended up having about 2000 people tune in, which none of us expected, yeah. but it was so many people. It's just the power of like content and timing. Um, and there was a story in particular I told about a child in a gym asking me if I worked there and how the mom didn't respond. And so I stepped in to respond to the child because there's so much implicit bias in a situation, well, not even implicit, there's so much explicit bias in a situation like that. And the point I made that really resonated with so many people was you have to correct children as and when these things are happening. A five-year-old, because a girl looks around five years old, she's not gonna remember what you're talking about in a week. Yeah. It seemed lost under opportunity. And Jody said something really powerful that it's dosing frequency according to age. So when you're dealing with young children, you have to have the conversations on a more regular basis, but keep the dose really small. Um, so that really resonated with people. And um, I remember the chat box just like exploding. And Lucy was like, Tell me, don't try and follow the comments in the chat because there's just too many after you shared yeah. that. <laughs> and then I was asked to write a piece for Mother Magazine about raising a black son in America. And that ended up going viral. As I mentioned, I have a law degree, so I've always been interested. And actually a big part of the reason I've always been so interested in how the legal process works, because there was a time, I think I was about 14, um, myself and my older brother, he's three years older than me, we were literally directly in front of our house in London, central London, nice neighborhood. And we were like literally standing in front of our front door and police doctors to ask us what we were doing in that neighborhood. And I was like, what? Um, so yeah, it just kind of created this strong interest in like social justice really early. And I wrote about that in my piece for Mother Magazine and just the differences between the police force in the UK and the police force in America being the police force in the UK are routinely armed and undertrained. And that creates a completely different trajectory with the number of people that end up being shot and killed by the police in America. And then I got asked to write a piece for a really popular lifestyle blog called Cupcakes in Kashmir. And I chose to write about the importance of black protagonists in books for children. And my point was, you can't just talk to children about race when it's an issue like MLK or slavery. Yeah. You need to talk about race in an everyday normal context and start really early. That way it's never like a foreign um, thing for children and it's something that they've always seen. And this is also why representation at every single level matters. Um, that went viral. Um, and then uh, 
I got a call from ABC. And for me, this was all so like interesting because as a PR person, I did yeah. nothing. Yeah. But it's such a natural progression on a topic that people are clearly very interested in and wanting more information and more content. And the timing sounds like it was divine. It was all perfectly lined up. It was. And then I, um, yeah, I got a call from ABC to join Reggie on the lunchtime news and he's fantastic. So I had a really great conversation with him. And then after that, I got a DM on Instagram from this lovely woman saying that I'm a children's book editor, Simon and Schuster. And I was wondering if you've ever thought about writing a children's book. I was like, yes, I have. I have three ideas. Can we get on the phone tomorrow? And I think the PR person in me knows that when an opportunity comes your way, act on it quickly. Yeah, do it. Do it before the next yeah. big thing. Yeah, yeah. So I got on the phone oh. the next day. We went through ideas, and she really liked the idea that became your special voice, and that's how it happened. And then I wrote it. So twenty summer twenty twenty, we did a road trip in an RV. I'm not really a fan of camping, but my husband knows how much I love travel, and he knew that like peak over the only way I'd agree to get out of the house would be in something safe and the only time I'd agree to be in an RV would have to be during a pandemic so I actually wrote the book by hand on our road trip so my son got to see the whole process and he got to see like all the edits and stuff but the finished book is very close to where we started so that's how it all happened and then when it came out December December last year it was number one on Amazon for new children's book releases which I hadn't thought about because people ask me about this and I'm like you know what I was so excited to write a book I never thought about what was going to happen when the book came out so yeah literally hadn't crossed my mind to look at like ratings or anything but I was getting into bed the night it came out the night yeah the night it came out and I was like oh let me just see how it's doing on Amazon yeah so that's amazing and congratulations that's such an accomplishment and I love the perspective on that i don't remember where I heard it listening to some podcast somewhere, no doubt, but talking about the idea that like the creation of the thing, that's the goal. Like that's the only thing that you need to do. And you don't really have any interest. Like you don't need to have an interest in what happens beyond that. And it's sort of what inspired me to take the leap and even launch this podcast because it was like, the only thing that I wanted was to be in conversation with interesting people and hear their stories and hopefully learn and expand. And, you know, I just think people have wonderful life stories and you can always have a good conversation. And so same, I'm just like, I don't know how many subscribers we have and I don't know, somebody else probably is monitoring all of that information. But for me, it's in the act of, of the conversation and getting to know new people and hearing their stories and then sharing them with whoever is on the other side <laughs> listening. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it gets very crippling if you're so focused on like, I have to get to X number of this or I have to be on the the bestseller list for a certain number of weeks. Um, it sort of sucks all the fun out of the creative process. Sure. Did your son have any like input into the storyline of the book as you were writing it? No, I mean, he was a very excited bystander in the whole yeah. process. Because like, yeah. you know, during the day or in the evening, he'd be like, oh, mommy, what are you doing? I'd be like, oh, I'm writing my book. He'd be like, can I see? And, you know, I'd read it to him or he'd read what I was writing. Um, So I think it was, for me, it was only when the book came out that I realized what a powerful experience it was for him to see it from start to finish, to see the process of me having an idea and putting myself out there in so many different ways before I then had this opportunity to write a book, me seeing it through. At a point in time, it was quite hard 
to have the time to do something, but me just making the time and seeing it through. And then we got advanced copies with board books that takes a lot, the window of time between when an advanced copy arrives and when it comes out in the market's much shorter. So we got our advanced copies about a month before it came out. And like, you know, he opened the box and he wanted to keep the first books. I think just seeing the whole process and he was nine when the book came out. So I think it's such a powerful thing for kids to see also the timeline and just to teach yeah. you that patience is such an important part of achieving any goals. I think that for me was like the really powerful part. And now for him, he's just like, yeah, whatever. My mom's written a book and she does book readings and yeah. podcasts. <laughs> it's just life. It's just what moms do. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all, which is also really nice because it's so normal and ordinary for yeah. him. And I think that's the best lesson that you can teach your kids. Uh, you know, I've been running my business from our household and oh my gosh, it's been seven years. So the kids were quite small when I started and we had just blended our families together. And so they got to see the whole process of everything. Like today I had an idea and then tomorrow it's like, now I have an Instagram and an LLC. <laughs> like. And they've been around for all of it and they see me working and, and they see the time also that we carve out to make sure we're at all of their football games and we show up to every school function and, um, and have that sort of balance. And it's funny because I think they look at both of us, Chad and I, the same way where they're like, whatever, it's so easy. You just like have a job and then like, we get to have this amazing life. It's no big deal. (laughs) And I'm thankful that they think that that is normal and that they can see balanced lifestyles and, and that you can go after your dreams and accomplish big things, um, and still make time for everything else that you want to do. Uh, but it concerns me a little bit how easy they think (laughs) everything is. How old are you (laughs) Now the younger, so my daughter is 23 um, and then my stepsons are 13 and 15. Yeah. So with our 10 year old, we're starting to wonder a lot of the same things because my husband's an architect. And like I said, at the beginning of our interview, um, he, he was basically going to grad school and it was San Francisco or New York. And so our son has grown up in this world where daddy's an architect and builds amazing buildings, and, yeah. you know, these amazing projects. And he's working on a really exciting project right now. That's like his first project of his own. And just like, again, for our son to see where it started and all the different steps involved and just the timeline piece. And then he also knows that I've got a PR agency and every morning on the way to school, drop off, we always talk through what we have coming up with our days. And I'm like, okay, what have you got coming up today with your day that you're looking forward to? And then he asked me the same question about my days. I was like, oh, I've got an interview with Elton. It's going to be a podcast. He's like, okay, when can I listen? So it's, it's. It's a really tricky thing because as parents, I feel we want to give our children everything, but then you also want to give them a sense of like value attached to that. You don't want them to feel it's super easy. And one of my cousins actually runs a career service for one of the really great universities in England. And she has offered so much insight because obviously by the time they're doing like career counseling at a university, the kids definitely over 18 but I think for the most part like 2021 or like grad students and she tell she's told me about some of the patterns that she's seeing with you know the students at that age and just a lack of value for the lives that they've lived is a pretty consistent theme um Um, so just trying to figure out 
how to make sense of that. And um, our son's been asking a lot about money recently. So just figuring out like how we can teach him about money. And you know, when kids start asking questions about how much things cost, like what do you, like what are the categories that you choose to share? Do you choose to share how much your house costs? Do you choose to share how much your car costs? Do you choose to share how much you get paid and how it all breaks down? So just really kind of figuring out, and again, I think it's dosing frequency as he gets older, but just figuring out how to help him understand. And I think, I mean, he's only 10, so he's still pretty young, but he's beginning to get a sense of um, things. Because, like, the other day, we went to get an acai bowl, and he was like, $10? Yeah, you're like, that's cheap. <laughs> I'm like, welcome. And, like, filling yeah. up the car with petrol, gas. He was like, oh, my God, gas is so expensive. And I was like, welcome. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that just these, like, moments of, like, um, yeah and helpful as he starts because you know like every now and then he'll be like oh being an adult's really expensive isn't it I'm like yeah you know you kind of figure out what you want and you figure out what your you know essential items are and just how to pay for things that's why you can't always do everything straight away you have to kind of figure out what you want now and what you're going to wait yeah. for and what you're going to save up for and like yesterday we were talking about um saving spending donating investing and I was saying to him I wish someone had taught me that when I was 10 um Yes. It's alarming that we don't talk our kids. I mean, my parents did a good job of talking to us about money and budgeting and sort of like learning basic life skills. Uh, but it should be coursework, like mandatory <laughs> coursework all through our formative years, you know, like how do you invest for your future? What is, you know, real talk about money? And it's such a balance because I see you know, the abundance in the world. And then I see there's so much also of like the scarcity mindset. And I don't want to raise kids that like, you got to find that happy medium. I don't want them to be terrified that they're not going to have enough. And I also don't want them to just think like everything just arrives and it's always fine. (laughs) I mean, I guess maybe I should want that for them, but I kind of, you know, I think a little bit of a struggle gives you some character and empathy for other people. And, and so that's tricky. You know, I think we go out of our way to make sure our kids don't have the same struggles that we had growing up, but then it also takes away their opportunity to become strong and independent people. And so that it's a tricky, tricky balance. Um, they seem to be fairly well adjusted so far, but you know, I did our youngest one came to us and he was like, Hey, I want this Lego set. Can you buy it for me? And we're like, how much is it? And he's like, $850. And I was like, "Mm, that's how much my first car cost. (laughs) We're absolutely not buying you this Lego set, but I would be happy to provide you with a list of chores and an associated dollar value. And then you can buy it. Forget tax. Tax is going to add another, (laughs) you know? Yeah, we're teaching our son. Um, and he did it. You know what? Truly, like he's still working on it. He's had this thing since January. He saved up until he had enough money. And every birthday, every holiday, he was like, I don't want anything. Just give me money. I want to buy my Lego set. And so he'd get like 20 bucks from a grandparent and, you know, $10 from someone else. And then he was so proud to walk into the Lego store and he just had cash in hand. <laughs> it was like, he was just like a businessman. He just went in. He's like, I want the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an amazing yeah. experience for him to have at an age where he's going to remember it, just like the patience and working and also the fact that he stayed focused. 
Yeah. And so we still, you know, it's like, then we'll go into, he is building it on a big table in the garage because this thing is massive. And we'll go in sometimes and we're like, have you even done anything on this in the last week? And he's like, "Uh, I don't know. I just want to play a video game. And we're like, you worked for so long (laughs) to get this thing. Yeah, but that's also something good to keep in mind. Sometimes we think we really want something and then you make this big investment and you're like, eh, it was just a passing craze. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm constantly um, looking for information from other parents or other people about just like, you know, good advice. I think a lot of us are constantly like seeking out good advice. And I read an interview the other day that was really interesting, that really resonated with me. I think I've actually read it like a couple of times in the past, but it hits differently at different ages. Um, And it was the woman, I think she's called, I can't remember her name actually, but the woman who's the mother of the founder of 23andMe and also the YouTube founder. And she was saying the biggest problem she sees with parenting today, very similar to what we were just discussing, parents do too much. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as your children are able to do something, you need to let them do that thing. Even if they don't do it perfectly, you need to let them do the thing. And she was saying just like basic stuff around the house, just getting your kids yeah. to understand that they are part of a team and how it operates within the house. Everyone has to do their bit, getting them to make their bed, you know, getting them to make their breakfast, getting them to like help with the dishes, set the table and just to keep going and keep letting kids do stuff as they get older and you know, also as a parent to let go of expecting things or wanting things to be perfect and just let the kid. And that's something, you know, because now that our son's 10, it's like beginning a lot more than when he was younger. And just for me, it can be quite challenging to just let him do the thing or encourage him or tell him to do the thing. Because, you know, for most of us, the quicker and easier to do it yourself, it's not going to make a mess. But um, yeah, so I just thought that was really interesting because just thinking of the ways in which that shows up in so many different arenas of life. Oh, yeah. And I'm such a big fan of age-appropriate chores for kids. That's how Chad and I have raised all three of these kids. One, out of necessity, I was a single mom for a very long time and was like, great, you can feed yourself, feed yourself. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're using a spoon or using your hands. And then it was like, you can put your own toys away. If you can take them out, you can put them back in. You can make your bed. It doesn't need to be perfect. But the practice of doing it, of setting up a nice space for you to come back into in the evening. Uh, and I read a really beautiful article about how teaching them to do chores for others, like clearing the table also builds empathy in them. And they don't have a lot of opportunities as children to give to other people. And so you're really helping them to be just nicer, kinder adults, let alone like, you know, take care for their own households, which I do not want to be the parent of someone like you go to their dorm room and they're the disaster. (laughs) You just do your own laundry (laughs) and we still struggle with it a little bit. And you know what? That's fine. It's like. I've taught you how to do your laundry. If you don't want to like spray and wash the stain out, then that's on you. And now your shirt is going to look gross. And yeah, that was your decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm also learning as our son gets older that a lot of these things, it's a continuum. There is no point at which you're done. So it's yeah. just a continuum. And just like, the, I think the challenge can be staying consistent when you're short on time or, or just tired, just being really consistent with, you know, asking them or encouraging them or letting them do the thing. Yeah. What does your son like doing around the house? What's his fave? Is he like um, a clean person? Does he like helping with cooking? 
he started showing more of an interest in cooking this year. It's always been there like a little bit with like baking and stuff. But I think this summer we watched MasterChef and he was quite taken by Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, <laughs> he's <Chef>. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, that definitely triggered. And again, you know, like I said, with all these things, it's different at different ages. I think cooking, he's quite yeah. interested in cooking. And um, at weekends, he likes to make breakfast because obviously we all have a lot more time at weekends. So that's yeah. really nice to see that as a consistent thing. And then he's really good at taking out the trash doesn't need to be asked, doesn't need to be reminded. Amazing. Um, yeah, setting the table, you know, different degrees of uh, diligence involved with setting the table, yeah. but also making his bed. Cool. I mean, that's, those are all very helpful things. Yeah. Um, our kids, it's funny. My mom was very much like a Martha Stewart kind of a parent. Um, but we also, we had a lot of chores as kids growing up. And I guess we had more time because we didn't have the internet. So yeah. <laughs> lots yeah. of free time on our hands. This is why, you know, all three, me and my brothers, we were all avid readers and my mom would take us to the library two, three times a week. Each time I would get three books and then I would be done with them. Like by the time we're going back to the library again, yeah. they would have to force me to go to sleep at night. My dad installed like a reading lamp right next to my bed. So they would tuck me in, shut the door. And then I'd be like, whoop, lights back on again. <laughs> Stay up reading. Yeah. Yeah. Great things to do. But, yeah, it's so nice. But yeah, so we had so many, we were responsible for food prep, for setting the table, clearing the table, doing the dishes, cleaning the house. Like, I mean, we were put to work inside, outside, everywhere. But in hindsight now, like I'm so appreciative of all of the lessons that we learned. Like I know how to set a beautiful table for the holidays and we don't do that every day. Like sometimes we just eat on the couch and we watch a movie together. Like we're very relaxed, but I like that I can. Yeah. And, you know, and so I'm trying to teach them a little bit of that, of like, at least like, how do you remember where the water glass goes versus, you know, which side is the knife and fork on? Uh, so, you know, they're good sports for the most part. I think they, yeah, they like it in small doses. <laughs> yeah. No, the way I look at it, I mean, even just listening to what you're saying, I think a lot of it is just, you know, being equipped with tools that you can use like as and when needed. You don't have to use them all the time. Same thing about setting a table. I did it when I was growing up and same thing. It's like it, for me, it feels so easy because I did it so much already. Um, and it's just tools, you know, life tools that, you know, you never know when you're going to need to be able to do something, but um, if you can, it's a great thing to be able to do. Yeah, you know, it just gives you confidence and your ability to handle yourself in any situation. And I think, you know, just the basics of cooking is a pretty important life skill. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good uh, oh, So good. I ask everyone on the podcast if there is a word or a feeling or a value, something that you feel like you're sort of centered around at this moment in your life or something you're trying to bring in. Or even if it's a struggle, but just, I find that like, if I keep one thing at the front of my mind, it makes it easier for me to align the rest of my life around trying to achieve that. And for a long time, I struggled with, um, not being able to feel present in the moment and not even really being able to fully like internalize my own accomplishments or my own moments of joy, because I was already like emotionally moved on to the next thing. And so I'm very much focused on feeling and experiencing joy in all of the little moments as they sort of arise throughout life, because they're there. If I can just like, you know, <laughs> be in the moment to see them and feel them. 
Um, and I would love to know if you have something that you're working towards or trying to experience more of. Um, the word that comes to mind for me is intent. I think um, similar to what we discussed earlier on like with boundaries, you know, just being really intentional about how I want to live my life, how I want to spend my time, what I choose to do with my day, what I choose to do with my things, how I choose to spend time with my family, how I want to show up in the world as a person and just being as intent. I mean, obviously some days, some weeks, some months are better than others. You know, you don't always have like full control of everything that's happening around you, but within the parameters that are available to you, just being intentional as possible about when I do certain things. Um, and I think, you know, just for example, reading in the evening versus scrolling on the internet, you know, I don't use my laptop in the evening, you know, so that kind of helps create boundaries around how I spend my time. Like it's not even in the same room as me. And so that's really helpful just to make sure it's just not something. So I feel a lot of people end up like scrolling on their laptops because it's there. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer. I think it's uh, James Clear, his book, Atomic Habits, where mm -hmm. he says the things that you want to make a good habit, make them easier to do. Yeah. Putting out your gym gear the night before, the things you want to make a harder habit, make them harder to do. And I think it was him or someone else has this example of like a cookie jar in an office. And when the cookies were out on a plate, like yeah. everyone would eat them. But just having them in a jar with a lid, just yeah. such a minor One extra step, you know, but it's so uh, yeah, I read that. So my takeaway from that was I was wanting to get back into the habit of reading throughout the day. And I think the example given was like, if that's what you want to do, then just like leave your book on the coffee table. And I was like, oh yeah, like my book is all the way upstairs and it's like in a drawer on my nightside table. And so there's all these barriers of like, I have to go upstairs and I have to find the thing. <laughs> and it was just enough to keep me from doing it unless I'm already in bed. And then it was very easy. Uh, but I was trying to incorporate sort of like afternoon reading breaks and same, someone was talking about how they didn't want to mindlessly like drink a beer at the end of every day. So they just moved all the beer to like a fridge in the garage and they were like, that was enough. Like yeah. I would have to, it's, I don't see it. I don't see it when I open the fridge with all the food. And so then I don't think about it. And it is so true. These tiny little changes can make such a big difference in, in our day to day. That's awesome. Yeah, training your brain to do like whatever you do a lot of, you're training your brain to do more of the same thing. Um, and this is like a conversation we have with our son, you know, it's a conversation I have with my mom as well. Like, you know, what are you training your brain to do? And it's hard. Like, I'm not by any means saying it's easy to like change habits or create a new habit. It's hard, but you know, just stick with it. I think I'm quite lucky in the sense that, well, luck is relative but um, I'm quite a resilient person and resilience obviously comes from not having things work out the way you want them to all the time um but yeah so I think just sticking with it is really important with anything that you want in life just really stick with it yeah that's awesome I love that intention uh do you feel like it's going smoothly for you like you are able to feel like you're going through your days intentionally more often than not or are you struggling in some areas Definitely struggling in some areas, but I think once I had that thought, and I think it was actually January last year, if I remember correctly, we were up in Tahoe and me and a bunch of female friends went out for a walk that the children started calling the Women's March. We were like, you know, that was a different thing, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and um, one of my friends that we were out walking with asked everyone to choose a word for the year. And the word that I chose was intention, intentional. And that's just the word I want to keep. Um, I think 
choosing a word like that reminds me on a really regular basis to be really intentional. Like whenever I have those moments where I'm feeling burnt out or overwhelmed, I'm like, what am I not doing here that I should be doing? I think, you know, this is something that I'm teaching my son, being really clear on what your what your emotional, psychological toolkit is. Like, what do you need to feel balanced and centered every day? Like, what are your non-negotiables? And just to be really clear with that, like for me, in the morning, I work out, I go for a long walk. Um, in the evening, I read, you know, spending time with family. I have a personal rule for myself that I'm never out of the house more than two evenings a week, whether it's work events or like social events, just because I really like this time that we get at home right now. He's 10, so he still really wants to be around us. That's not yeah. always going to be the case. So just, you know, being intentional about things like that. Um, and it helps because I just feel a lot of the weeks where I manage that better definitely feel a lot better to me than the weeks where um, I'm not as intentional. And it just serves as its own reminder. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. And I think it's such a beautiful lesson for kids to learn too. you know, setting boundaries that take care of your own mental and physical health. It's so important. And again, not something that we often learn as kids growing up, um, you know, I'm glad that I learned it when I did, but yeah, I'm fiercely protective of my sleep and I just have to, like, if I'm consistently not getting at least seven hours of sleep, then my health deteriorates. Like I'm just not feeling centered. And it's also what started the like no meetings prior to 10 AM because I realized like I need to take a full hour to drink a cup of coffee. (laughs) It's like, it's the only thing I want to be doing. I want to enjoy it. I want there to be quiet around me. I'm not talking to anyone. Uh, And then, you know, I work out and all the other things, but it's my days feel more like they started intentionally and in a way that feeds my soul when I support that boundary for myself. And then I can feel a very tangible difference on the mornings where you just wake up and you like grab your phone immediately it's into work and you just kind of like I feel like my brain shuts off and I'm no longer participating in my life it's just sort of happening to me in like a really busy rushed way yeah I read something or I heard something somewhere that it's a difference between responding to other people's needs versus responding to your own needs yeah Um, and that really stuck with me as well because I think as women mothers business owners partners you spend so much time responding to other people's needs and you just need to remember to respond to your needs first if you can carve out time in the morning to do that that's probably quite a helpful way to start your day on a positive note yeah oh that's beautiful thank you well thank you so much for being our guest today I really loved having a conversation with you and you've such a beautiful life story. And I'm so excited for you and the success of your book and and your PR firm. And it's also wonderful. I look forward to keeping up with you and seeing what the future holds. Thank you. It's been really nice, like getting to know you, learning about your business as well and being a guest on your podcast. I've enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for having me. Of course. 